Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. We left off most recently with you uh, telling a great story about a certain Carla, and uh, people should check that podcast out. But we also talked in more general terms about friendship, which is a part of the subtitle of your your new memoir, Friendship Matters. You mentioned the camp experience, at least two of them. Do you have other camp experiences you wanted to mention? Well, um, I could mention a few of the people uh, at Bowcrest. Um because, first of all, friendship generally, I think, is the blessing of my life. Not having children and being able to make very close friendships. And Lois, in a different sort of a way, has some very nice friendships as well. Um, and I think that friendship is, uh, is, is it's, it's, it's existential. It's a survival uh, because you hear about old, older people. Now, I have hearing problems. And you always, you know, hear about older people who lose social connection and stuff like that. Well, even though sometimes I don't hear the exact words, um, I sort of fake it. Lois kids me about it. Hmm. Oh, you do answer, but you have no idea what they said. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I think that I think I have some really close friends, more than a lot of people. But, you know, how many people can you be soulmates with? Eight, nine? Ten, that would be a lot, but I have a lot of people that that I would qualify or who I would say are good friends, and a lot of them are people I've met later in life. Many go back to early in life, and um, I make it a point, Jordan, to keep in touch with people that I've known from the past. I think if you let people that you've been close to or you've had a you know a good relationship with pass from your life. Uh, I don't think that's a good thing, but I think a lot of people do it because they have family, children, this, that. Um, but in my particular case, I contact people that I haven't known for a long time, and they respond, of course. It's amazing. Uh, I do the same, not to the extent you do. I will comment, though, on your uh, response time, which is faster than anybody half your age on in terms of responding to an email or a phone call. Larry is... Johnny on the spot. And that that makes a difference. First of all, in a business world, it makes a huge difference, but in a sense that you care and that that is reflected. So it, it brings us to... And of course, Jordan, you have to you have to know that after a day, I can't remember what email was <laughs> <laughs> sent. Sounds like Lois talking and I, I'm talking about you. So I, I want to talk about the city of Brookline, because it is uh, such a historic and thriving town of and, Brookline. Um, pardon me, town of Brookline. I apologize. There's They're no, very. There's no mayor, correct? No mayor. It's all. Right. It's all. Uh, you know, town meeting. And you were a member of that town meeting, government. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So the fact of the matter is, if if any if anybody just Google's Brookline, Massachusetts, they'll see birthplace of John F. Kennedy, birthplace uh, Mike Wallace, Brookline High School, all these graduates. But it really is a, a fountain of possibility when you come when it comes to indivi- individual personalities. So talk a little bit about the voices of Brookline and why that coalesced so beautifully for you, and you were the right man for the job. 
Well, as I say, um, you know, my writing career goes back to uh, like 1998. And we got to the point where people said you should write a book. So, okay, I started writing a book based on my TV interviews, which took place over a couple of years and probably amounted to 60 or 70 or I don't know how many. But, um, and I, they at first they said, well, a half an hour will do, Larry. So I said, no, give me an hour program. I can talk to these people for an hour. And they said, well, that's a lot of time. I said, I, I think I can handle that. So, and, and, and it worked out fine. So I could. And I can always think of some crazy thing to ask. And the people in uh, voice, uh, people in Brookline, all kinds of people, um, when I started to put to plan how I wanted to put the book together from all these interviews, the first I divided it into sections, as you know. And the first section was were sisters, mm-hmm. either real sisters or sisters because of the way they related to one another. So that I think there were like thirteen or fourteen stories in the book of women before it ever got to a man. One of which has a, a near and dear special place in my heart, and that's the Baker sisters, because I knew them, Dolly and Bobby, and I knew their manager, Ruth Shapiro. These were entertainers from the the old days, and they were old school, classic, vaudevillian type entertainers, and they were hysterical. I love them. So we have a connect. We have more connections as we go along. Well, you know, any that you have connections to, ask me about. You. Yeah. Well. Uh, so anyway, uh, are yes. They, are they still alive? Any? I don't believe so. I think they're all gone. But they were. They were such a stitch. I, they used to appear in my radio show, and crack everybody up. But these were all women. So you start off with women. You lead with women. Yeah, I did because yep. the the Goodrich case, which uh, I was in Europe at the time, and I came back in the and the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts had just decided the Goodrich case, um, uh, and um, that gave women a status that they had not had before, same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, it just seemed a good place to start. My na- my neighbor at uh, my office that I finally left in October of last year to take my office home um, was uh, Linda Gavin was a same-sex partner, and uh, there were some others that I interviewed. Among those sisters uh, was um, Ellen Goodman and uh, Jane Holds K. Now, they were interesting. Like, um, uh, Ellen became famous for, you know, her columns at the Globe, which were taken up nationally. And she won the uh, Pulitzer Prize. Right. And when I interviewed her, she wanted to challenge me. On the, she said, women make much better friend, friends uh, between themselves than men do. Well, I sort of disagreed with that because I know that I've had extremely close relationships with some guys. Uh, and uh, they make excellent friends if you are lucky enough to find the right person. So I got into a little discussion with her, but then I said, this is, this is not going to help because uh, we're going to disagree. And she was really strong on the subject. So... The interview went reasonably well, uh, and um, she's a subject in the book. Jane Holtz Kay, who unfortunately got Alzheimer's disease late in her life, was really helpful to me. She was very, very nice to me, um, seeking out whatever it was that I wanted, a guest or an idea. And uh, she's the lady who wrote Lost Boston, which is uh, has all those buildings in it that were 
taken down that are so great. And one of the buildings that was taken down was the was the old town hall, which is a beautiful big building, 19th century style in Brookline. And they, they took it down and they put up this box mm. where for the uh, Brookline various agency offices now. And Jane, you know, she fought, as did other people, to keep that old building. Because, you know, you can do anything you want with the interior of a building. And they could have preserved the exterior sure, sure. And, made the, and made the inside more user-friendly for all the different agencies that they wanted, but they didn't do that. Before we talk about others that are focused in the book, and we'll probably do a couple of episodes on these because there's so many great content people here. Did you find, as I have found, present company included, that uh, you get to interview someone and spend time with them and intimately one-on-one focus on them, that oftentimes you develop a relationship with that person uh, just because you are now in contact. I I have more, uh, quote-unquote, off-air friends who were on-air friends. Did you find the same yeah, I think I think you and I are an example. Well, of that. that's why I said present company included. Absolutely, we met on the radio, basically. Yeah, right. I mean, you interviewed me, and I, you know, I, I enjoyed being interviewed by you, and just over and, the course. And of we time. followed up together. We both. Uh, uh, that, that's just a, an experience I've had, and it's it's such no, a I've, great I, way I to meet people. I have that people. same experience because yeah. I, you know, Jordan, you, how can you spend? Very rarely do two people, unless they're terrific conversationalists, and, uh, but very rarely do two, well, one-on-one for, for an hour or so. That doesn't happen all that often mm. in ordinary life. No. Now, if you're, if uh, like we've been here probably close to an hour. Now, if you spend one hour with a person sharing uh, things that are on the surface but also below the surface— that's an experience you're not like, likely to forget that easily. And I think you get to know the person interviewing you. I think it works both ways. Mm-hmm. I think that you get to know that person better. Now, you, for example, are not an interviewer who just asks a question uh, and let it go at that. You enter into a conversation and you, know, you share your experiences woven into your questions. And I think that makes for a... a, a uh, uh, a feeling that begins to exist between the two people that opens the way, should they choose to do so, to be friendly. Uh, couldn't later. agree. Couldn't agree more. And uh, you and I are, are both examples of that. That's why I brought it up. And over the years, uh, some of my very close relationships are with people I happen to interview, and and the subject matter touched a. a a valve in my heart, and I connected with them over something. Might have been something humorous. Uh, it doesn't matter. And uh, such is such is life when it comes to friendship. Let's talk about one more chapter in this episode uh, in the book that has to do with Brookline, and that that's a chapter that uh, is hard to forget. The Holocaust, Book Two. Brookline, uh, for those who don't know, uh, we're listening to us from other parts of the world. Um, is a very strong and vibrant uh, Jewish population, and it has since its founding, I guess. And um, people living amongst us might even be Holocaust survivors, and we don't know it in some cases. How did you dig through the the uh, the material there to find the right people, and who were some of these people? Well, let's take Eddie Barshak and Regina Barshak. Now, Eddie Barshak was 
a fabulous lawyer who just died a few months ago at 97. Mm -hmm. I think at 95 he was still taking the tea into town to practice law. I first met Eddie Boschak when I started to practice law in 1958 when Marge Michelson, my first employer, took me to meetings of the uh, American uh, Jewish Congress uh, and they had a section on, uh, you know, the, to do with law uh, and the Holocaust was one of the subjects. And Eddie, at that time, Barshak was like in his late 20s or something. He became a fabulous lawyer. Regina, his wife, was a French lady who had hidden out and escaped the Holocaust in Paris. You know, uh, I don't know whether she did the whole thing in Paris or whether she escaped to what I guess they called Vichy France. Right. Which uh, the was seat the of, southern the part of the seat of the, the Nazi government, right? Yeah, but yeah. but she was, she was a powerful force for recognition of the Holocaust, um, and um, I knew about that. I guess before I wrote the book, so I asked, uh, I asked uh, her to be a guest, and she told some of the stories about that. And um, they were they were a great couple. She she said, well, they they set aside a holiday for uh, Christmas and things like that. Why not a Holocaust Remembrance Day in Brookline? And they they did set that up. Hmm. If, and um, where, where kids don't go to school, so that I you know I think that was one. Let me take a look at the here. contents. There's uh, I've got your contents page here. I was going to ask you about Al Rosen, the soldier. As well. Oh yeah, it, uh, so I think, yeah. So that, well, Al Rosen. That's a story. Al was, he's another one. You know, sometimes you've had the experience, I'm sure, where somebody will say, "Well, wh why don't you interview me?" So Al Rosen said, "I got a story to tell." So I knew Al, but I didn't know him that well. Mm. And he did have a story to tell. First of all, what was the company that was just sold? Was it Houghton Mifflin or something like that? Um, he um, he wrote a couple of children's books that were accepted. Mm -hmm. He was with the army when they liberated the German concentration camp near Munich. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think of Dachau, I guess. Dachau, yeah. Uh, Auschwitz was Poland. Yeah, right? Auschwitz was in Poland, and um, so he he met some of the Holocaust survivors when they. He was you know he was in the army. Um, and he was like 19 or something like that. Mm. But he told that story, and he became very active in uh, in uh, Holocaust work later in life. He's now he's still alive. His wife died maybe within the last year or two, and I think he's like 97 mm. or 98. And um, so Al was a a very strong Democrat, and, uh, and you know a lot of people in Brookline were and are. And he, and uh, and I, and others in Brookline, you know, really would like to have seen Mike Dukakis become president. But that's interesting in itself. Mike Dukakis is in the book, of course. He's really a terrifically decent guy, a great guy, and uh, he's become a little softer over the years. When he ran for president, we all know that uh, when they asked him what he would do if he ran into somebody who. Uh, you know, was trying to do bad things to his wife, what would he do? Um, he didn't answer that question correctly. A lot of people would have said he would have tried to kill the guy or something to that effect. But Mike is a tremendous guy, 
and um, he's been very helpful to me over the years. He wrote, as a matter of fact, the foreword for this book that mm. we're talking about, Voices of Brooklyn. This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life. The accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website LarryRuttman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Ruttman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.